This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Alright, so we've been talking about the modern family. Families have been around for a long time. They were God's idea, right? From day one, marriage was God's idea. And you realize that things have not changed much between then and now. We still have the same issues, the same problems, but they just look a little different, don't they? And so we've been talking about modern family. We have the last couple weeks, and, and we started the first week. We're talking about how this really tied into the last sermon series, um, which was called Our Greatest Power. What is our greatest power? Choice. Choice. And that is really what our marriage is, the kind of marriage we're going to have, the kind of family we're going to have. It all boils down to our choices. It all boils down to that scripture in Deuteronomy 30:19 that says that he has set before us life and death. Blessing and cursing, right? And he tells us, therefore, choose what? Life. Life. When we choose life, we reap life consequences, right? When we choose death, we reap death consequences, curses, right? So I was talking about, I gave you a few points that first, um, that first week, two weeks ago, and, and the three things, I said, number one, wherever you find yourself in your family today, it is a result of choices, the result of the choices that you made, that your spouse made, whatever it is. Now, we also said, I understand that life happens. Things happen beyond our control. But we also talked about how life is, is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it, right? So something may happen that's out of your control that is just not fair. But you still have the choice how you're going to respond in a moment, right? Are we going to respond with life or are we going to respond with death? Are we going to respond God's way or are we going to respond in the flesh? Second thing I mentioned was choices that lead to life are always found in God's Word. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting that we, we get so determined sometimes to do our things our own way instead of turning to the Word. But the Bible clearly says that God set before us life and death and that life is found in His Word. If we'll simply do things His way, we will find that life, right? The third thing I mentioned was, as hope, no matter how much dysfunction you see in your family, God can breathe new life into it through the choices you make from this point onward. It's never too late. It doesn't matter how many bad choices we've made in the past. Changing tomorrow begins with life choices today. It may take a while. We'll have to hang in there. God will walk with us. But all it takes is beginning to make right choices today, right? And so there, Deuteronomy 30, 19, he said, therefore choose life because he set that choice before us. And he said, if we will choose life, therefore we and our descendants shall live. Life decisions for your family relationships. We talked about this last week. Three things we can do in our family relationships. Number one is to be a peacemaker. Our family can push our buttons like nobody else. Nobody can irritate us like family, right? Yep. But it's hard sometimes to make the decision to be the peacemaker. Isn't it hard sometimes to make the choice to keep your mouth shut? Yes. And I'm not talking about that moment where you're in your family member's face. Well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not talking about that. You didn't keep your mouth shut. You opened it right up. I'm talking about choosing to be the peacemaker, choosing which battles need to be fought and which ones don't, when to speak and when not to. Number two was choose to make the righteous, godly decisions, sometimes hard decisions. I mean, you know, sometimes the, fam the decisions we have to make, sometimes with our family, are not the popular thing to do. 
Sometimes our family will look at us and go, you, you, you need to do this because you're fam- we're blood. We're, 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 you know. You know what? I'm going to make the godly decision. I'm going to do what God's word says. We also talked about how God's not an enabler. And we've got to be careful how far are we going in enable, enabling bad choices and bad behaviors, even in our family. And the last thing we talked about was, really most importantly, is make prayer the priority. Sometimes it's all you've got in your family. You ever been to the point in your family where you realized that there was nothing else that you could say, that you had said probably too much already, and they weren't going to hear a word you had to say, good or bad, from, from here on out? And that's a point probably where you need to step back and go, okay, I'm going to keep my mouth shut for a while. You know what? I'm going to seek God on this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray first and foremost that God will change my heart. And secondly, I'm going to pray for my family member. And sometimes that's all you've got anyway, but it's the most important thing that we can do. So it all boils down to choices, if you notice there. Wherever you find yourself, it's a result of choices. Choices, Life choices are found in God's Word. No matter how much dysfunction you see, you can make godly choices. We've got to choose to be the peacemaker, choose to make righteous decisions, and choose to make prayer a priority. So today we're talking about marriage. Now, we realize not everybody here is married, and we'll get to that. But you guys realize that marriage is not the popular thing anymore. They say that actually the divorce rate is going down, but it's because fewer and fewer people are getting married. It's not because people's hearts are changing. It's because people aren't getting married anymore. It's not the popular thing. Many people are choosing to live together unmarried, and that is actually what has become the new normal in today's society. Um, A lot of people say things, well, I just don't know if I'm ready to be married. I don't want to jump into something. I don't know if I'm ready for commitment. Or I've heard people say, well, you know what? We're already as committed as a married couple. Well, you wouldn't have to say that. (laughs) You were married, right? But it's all a lie. Let me tell you this, and and I'm just going to touch on this for a moment because we've got to in the midst of it all. And what I did was I looked up statistics, and these were secular statistics on folks who lived together before marriage. A few things. More than eight out of ten couples who lived together before marriage will break up either before the wedding or afterwards in divorce. Eight out of ten. Couples who do not marry, couples who do marry after living together are 50% more likely to divorce than those who don't. So there's already over a 50% divorce rate. You have a 50% greater chance if you live together before marriage. Only 12% of couples who have begun their relationship with cohabitation end up with a marriage that lasts more than 10 years. Children of cohabitating parents are three times as likely to be expelled from school and to get pregnant as teenagers than children from intact homes with married parents. Children of cohabitating parents are five times more apt to live in poverty, poverty and 20 times, 22 times more likely to be incarcerated. Guys, there's blessing found in marriage. Now, you may be in a marriage situation that doesn't feel like a blessing sometimes, but it is a blessing. Hebrews 13.4 says, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between husband and wife. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. We do not... Understand, when we don't choose to do things God's way, people have always said, and we talked about this the other day, when we don't do things God's way, what we've always said is that God cannot bless us, right? And understand that we're all in process. But really what it boils down to is that life decisions are found in God's word. That's where the blessing is found. The blessing is found in doing things God's way, and then we reap the blessings of that. When we don't do things God's way, we reap the consequences. 
That's why he says, therefore, choose life, right? I don't think, I don't believe that, God, that divorce is ever God's plan. You guys agree with that? I don't believe that it's ever God's plan. Um, understand it in that I'm not saying that you should stay in an abusive situation. Obviously, something went wrong. And you realize that when things go wrong in our lives, it's generally because of bad decisions on our part, on our spouse's part, maybe probably more often on both of our parts, right? But divorce is never what God intended. He, did, he, he expects marriage to be a blessing. He expects it to be something that brings, brings security and wholeness. Divorce affects more people than you and your ex-spouse. I've, I've talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago about you know, I, I, I saw that. I went through that. I saw divorce between my parents when I was real young. And I've seen all the way through the years the consequences of that. One study found that when the wife alone experienced parental divorce, one of a wife's parents was divorced, her odds of divorce increased to 59%. When both spouses' parents had divorced, the odds of divorce tripled to 189%. 189%. Guys, this is something that is worth fighting for. I got a few other stats I looked up. Dr. Robert Combs of UCLA reviewed more than 130 empirical studies published in this century on how marriage impacts well-being. In his review, uh, he found that 70% of chronic problem drinkers were either divorced or separated. Only 15% were married and only 15% were single. Research conducted at Erasmus University in Rotterdam reports that married people have the lowest illness rates, uh, while divorced people have the highest illness rates. His research went on to show that marriage provides the highest levels of sexual pleasure and fulfillment for men and women. It protects against feelings of loneliness. It protects women from domestic and general violence. It enhances a parent's ability to parent. It helps create better, more reliable employees. It increases individual earnings and savings. Marriage is worth it. We do it God's way. This is the life that we all want. We've got to do it God's way, right? It's God's idea. He put the first marriage together, and he calls our relationship with him a marriage. Marriage is very important. You may be here today, and you'd say, well, I'm single, but I want to be married. You want to? Oh, I get to talk now. Uh, yeah, All right. My turn. That was really hard to sit that long and be quiet. <laughs> you did a good job, dear. Good job. Um, okay. Do we have any single people in here that would say, I'd like to be married someday? All right. Yeah. Okay. You know, we're, there are people in here that want to be married. And um, let me tell you something that I have told, actually, my girls. I haven't really had this conversation with Aaron so much yet, is that, um, you know, we've said that we don't get to choose our family, but we get to choose one family member, and we get to choose who we're going to marry. And I tell my children, I said, next to accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, choosing who you're going to marry is probably one of the biggest decisions that you're ever going to make, because you, in making that choice, are saying, okay, I'm going to live with them the rest of my life. I'm going to work through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it's a big decision. And so I just encourage you guys, you know, you do get to choose. Nobody usually forces you to get married. <laughs> you choose who you're going to marry someday. And so all you single folk out there, 
Do not compromise, all right? Make sure that that person is somebody that you truly want to walk out the rest of your life with. And a couple other things for you that are single out there is that make sure that you develop your relationship with the Lord. Make sure that he is number one within your life. Um, Next thing is to make sure that you are happy with who you are. You know, I've heard so many people say like, well, if I just find a dude or if I just find a woman, they'll complete me and my life will just be perfect like that little Disney story that you always see and they go off and oh, wonderful. Okay, Um, let me tell you, no person can complete you. No person can bring you happiness. You have to be happy with who you are as an individual and who Christ has made you and your relationship with him is the only thing that will complete you. Amen. Got my preach on. So do not, do not try to find somebody to complete you because you will be royally let down. You'll get in there, the honeymoon phase will be over, and you're like, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> and then you get to live with it. Um, the next thing is, um, you know, be faithful in the relationships that you are in. You know, be faithful even in the dating aspect. You know, don't go date 500 different people waiting for the one. No, give your commitment to that relationship until the Lord releases you to go on or to pursue that relationship. Um, here's another one, guys. Never, ever compromise your Christian beliefs or your standards just to find a marriage partner because it will make it difficult. And I mean, I want to even go beyond, and this is me, maybe not scripture, I kind of think it is, is that, you know, if you're a spirit-filled believer, you need to pursue a spirit-filled believer because they understand where you're at and where you're coming from. You know, make sure that you have some of the basic morals, the basic standards, the basic beliefs that are consistent so that life will go better and it will go easier. Can it work if, you know, two different? Absolutely, I've seen it work, but it does make it a little bit more challenging. And so I'd encourage you, have similar, same beliefs. Um, another thing is prepare yourself for marriage. You know, I want to be married, I want to be married, and, but you're kind of living the single life. I want to be married, I'm married. What does it mean to prepare yourself? You know, read books on marriage. I love how um, we've had a couple marriage conferences here. We've had a couple single people say, can I come to that? Because I want to learn so I can prepare myself to become that spouse that God wants me to be for somebody. You know, go to conferences. Um, hang out with couples that demonstrate a goodly, godly marriage. You know, surround yourself with people that are succeeding in it um, and be prepared. And then one other thing that I just wanted to throw out there, because so many times we see when you come into marriage is that you bring in a bunch of debt. When you're a single man, make wise financial decisions so that when you bring those union together, you don't have tons of student debts, you don't have tons of credit card debts, because how many you know that finances cause stress in marriage? And so when you're single, do your best to go into that marriage relationship, to pursue a relationship without added stress, without added distractions, without added problems, if at all possible. So who wants to get married now? <laughs> yes, I'm telling you, it is so worth it. And so do not, do not compromise. Do not compromise, just, to, just don't do it. Make sure that you're doing God's best for you. So marriage is God's idea, and it can be the greatest blessing in your life. It can also be the greatest curse in your life if you don't do it right. Correct? Can be How many bad. have ever been there before? Where your marriage felt like a curse. Okay, everybody raise your hand. There have been days where you're like, why did I do this? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) But the reality of it is, if our marriage feels like a curse, it's probably because we're not doing it right. 
Genesis 2, 22, Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman. Whoa, man. Or she was taken out of man. And verse 24, whoa, man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And something to understand here, God makes the two one. And that's what we find many times the problem is people still want to live their same life. They still want their individuality. They still want to go out with their friends and do the same things they always did on, on certain nights of the week. And they, and they forget, oh, yeah, I, I gave my life to somebody. I, 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 I've made a commitment to somebody. We're one now. What we find is people don't want to let go of their individuality. They don't want to let go of the selfishness. And that causes problems. But when you're married... It's not just a commitment. The Bible says it's a covenant. And you can't live the same way you did when you were single after you're married. Things change, don't they? Mm-hmm. If they don't change, you're probably not going to be married long. Um, so what are the choices that lead to a healthy, God-centered marriage? We're going to actually, we had several things, and, and just like the last couple weeks, we, we could talk about marriage for weeks and months, and we ended up kept tying this down, and yesterday we eliminated another point, combined it with another, and it was like, let's make this as simple as possible. Number one, prefer your spouse. Choose to be selfless. I'm sorry, choose to be selfless, yes. Same thing. Prefer your spouse, remembering that your life is not your own. You've got to be more concerned with the needs of your spouse than you are with your own needs. That means that, you know, when we get to that place, we're making the decision that I don't have to have the last word. I don't have to be the winner, if there's ever a winner, of this argument. I don't have to always be the one to choose where we're going to go to eat. I don't have to be the one in control of the remote control. You can have it. I'll just come if you watch Food Network. (laughs) Food Network. Jesus, help us all. Saying that I don't have to be the one. Isn't that what it means? When we prefer... Our spouse, it's being selfless. How do we do that? Now, we're going to give you a couple things. Number one is to prefer your spouse over, your, over yourself. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others. Say, my spouse. My spouse. Above myself. Myself. You see right here in the scripture, selfish ambition, it, um, actually, it's referring to compete, to compete. And so we need to make sure that in marriage that we are not trying to compete against our spouse. We're not trying to win everything. We're not trying to be the best. But instead, since we're talking about preferring our spouse, what we can, can we do to help them succeed? What can we do to help make them look good? And so a couple examples I have here. Um, you don't have to raise your hand if you're guilty because I'm probably guilty of all of these, and that's why I could make these illustrations, is... Um, your husband's telling a story, and he said, you know, two weeks ago, we went to whatever, 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 and you're like, no, 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 that was three months ago. Okay, you don't need to correct them on details that do not matter. Guilty, I do it. And like, sometimes I even have to sit there and be like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. You know, they're wearing a blue sweater. No, dear, it was a green sweater. Okay, it doesn't matter. You don't need to correct them and show disrespect to them when they're in the middle of telling a story. Um, This next one is that we need to act like he or she is more valuable than yourself, even if you don't feel like it today. 
Because <laughs> some days we just don't feel it. <laughs> you know, and no, I don't. <laughs> I promise. Some days it is, you walk it out. It is hard. You know, some days you don't feel like it. And, um, you know, you have to make the decision as though he or she is more valuable than you. Now, I know some of you are like, what? They're not more valuable than me. Christ says that we're equal and he sees us the same in his eyes. Okay. Christ says that we're all equal. However, if you want to be selfless, you need to show value in your spouse. You need to, your actions and your words need to show that they are of value, that they are more important possibly than you. It's a decision that you choose to give them. It's not something that they're just throwing on you. The next thing is encourage rather than criticize. Do we have any naggers in here? <laughs> Guilty. Um, you know, they say that it takes 12 words of encouragement before someone will receive one word of criticism. You know, there needs to be confrontation within marriage and communication, and there's going to be conflict, but are you putting in enough encouragement that when criticism comes, it's going to be received? We've got to be to the place where we are pouring in encouragement into our spouse. So a couple examples as well of how we can prefer our spouse. Um, this is one in my house that scores big. There are days when I am exactly, I'm exhausted. You know, it's 8.15 or maybe 7.15 and I'm tired. We're old. <laughs> I know. The TV comes on and I check out and I'm ready for bed. And so there are times Rob observes that and he's like, you know what, dear, go ahead and go to bed. I'll take care of the kids and lock up the house. And so he would see to praying for them, putting, I mean, they're older now, but, you know, praying for them, yeah, putting them to the bed. Yeah, you ever tried putting Aaron to bed? <laughs> yes. Stay in the but I love you. I need a hug. About it's five times. seventh one. But we're talking about parenting next week. Um, <laughs> um, another way that we can prefer our spouse, and I think this is vitally important, is not making quick decisions on your own, but making decisions together. You know, I still try to do that with Rob, even if it's just like if I'm going to have a meeting or if I'm going to go out to lunch with somebody out of respect for him, be like, you know what, I'm going to go meet with so-and-so. Are you okay with that? You know, respect them. Don't just plan your own little life like it's all about you, it's all about them, and you never come together. You know, show them respect. Show them value by making um, decisions together. Um, next one here. Okay, hold on, because some of you, this is going to hurt. You ready? Consult your spouse before making financial decisions. You want to elaborate? Sure. <laughs> Guys, marriage is, I'm sorry, money is one of the number one reasons for divorce. And there's all different ways of doing this, of handling the money. I, I understand that. Um, for us, we generally, when we're counseling people, we don't encourage the separate accounts and stuff. Maybe it works for you. Uh, for us, we found that many times what it does is it causes more of a defining line of division between the two than it does bringing together. Uh, we always encourage couples, if possible, to, you know, not make it her money and his money. And, and I'm getting text messages from Zach on my iPad that he needs a hug. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we encourage people to not, not draw that defining line between his money and her money and and I can do this because that's my money, and you can do that because that's your money, and, you know, I just, I, I don't love the idea. I don't see it work real well real often. We encourage people to, to bring it together because it forces you to work together. It forces you to work this out and, and decide together how you're going to handle your finances, and, and that's important to be able to do that. 
And so, um, so we encourage spouses always, don't, don't make big financial decisions without consulting your spouse. And, and you may have to come to a decision on what that means. For some of you, that may mean, you know, that you're not going to spend more than 100 bucks without consulting your spouse. For some of us, that may be different. It may be 25 or 50 bucks, but you got to come to that place of deciding what that's going to be and that you make those decisions together so that money can never become something that divides you. Does that make sense? And let me also stress something we've seen so many times. Please don't ever hide bills or expenses from your spouse. That never goes well. <laughs> they don't want to see oh. the credit card bill come up in and, your spouse's name for 2000 bucks and be like, what? And please don't encourage your kids to not tell daddy or mommy that something was spent. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. <laughs> it always goes bad. Don't hide marriage money because it can be such a dividing factor has to be open and honest. It has to be discussed and talked out. And so that's why we, we encourage everybody to to consult your spouse before making big financial decisions. But bigger than that, make decisions jointly on how you're going to handle your money, how you're going to budget it, what you're going to spend it on, and what you're not. And, and even making the decision to be givers. And guys, I say this, it's hilarious to me that, that people get so funny about money in church, even though it's one of the number one reasons for divorce, even though God talks about it more than just about anything else, even though we use it every day and it's one of the most essential things in our lives. Guys, we speak from experience that God will never fail you when you choose to be a giver. Never fail you. It's, it's beyond, well, I gave my 10% this month. It's beyond I, I did this or I did that. It, it, it's the fact of, it, it's your heart, and it's saying, God, I trust that you're going to take care of me. And so because, you know, I, your word says that where my treasure is, my heart is, I'm going to choose to make my heart be about your kingdom. And I'm going to allow, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you with the rest of it. And, and let me tell you, I say this because understanding that both of us, our families raised us to be givers. We gave from the get-go. I mean, we, we have never, ever stopped giving. And, and, and we've always tried to give more and more. And, and please understand my heart in this. I, I think you all know that I, I'm not one to boast in it. But we, we got so excited about giving that we gave more and more. We were so excited one year, we were able to give 16% of our income away. And we were so stinking blessed. It was incredible. The doors that were open and what God did in our lives. And I think, I think this year, we will probably give more than we have ever given before. And it's amazing what God has done through us and in us and, and even financially in the last year or two. It's incredible. Some, I can't spend forever on this, but I just can't stress it enough. When it comes to your money and making financial decisions, make the agreement, choose together that we are going to be givers. We're going to give. And let me tell you, God takes care of you. I, I've told many times about, <laughs> about having, having that van and, and ha needing new a brake job so badly and not having the money to do that brake job. Two years, we're driving this thing and it's grinding and it's terrible and the car is shaking and we can't afford to get it fixed. And I take it in, I, I took it over to Gateway and they looked at it and they said it'll be this much and, and we just could not afford it. We needed new everything. And how a couple months later we finally got our income tax return and we thought, well, we're going to spend our income tax return on this break job and we take it in and we run over to Walmart while we're waiting on it to get fixed and he calls and goes, um, man, don't worry about it, everything's good, they're, they're just breaking in. And I said, what? And he goes, he goes it's, it's no big deal. It's, there's nothing wrong with them. And I said, what are you talking about? You, you told us two months ago we needed a break job. We brought it in for a break job. 
He goes, well, it, I, I assume you got one already because the new brake pads are just, just working their way in. They're, they're just breaking in. We were just silent. What? <laughs> I said, man, we didn't get a brake job. He goes, no, you did. Everything on here is brand new. Uh, everything, brand new rotors, brand new pads. Everything's brand spanking new on here. Your, your new pads are just breaking in. Like, are you sure y'all didn't just do a brake job on it? <laughs> can God do a brake job? Yeah. Dude, he can do a brake job. So I just must move on. Must Make on. the decision to be a giver. You're saying, God, I trust you, and you will see him work like you would never believe. Next thing here is consult your partner before making plans or before committing to something. Okay, let's start with the guys, with your hunting or your fishing with your buddies, maybe. Instead of going to do that first, hey, let me run that by my wife. Um, ladies, before you're going to go out with your friends every single weekend or whatever, run it by your spouse. Um, before going on a girls' or guys' weekend, you know, to show them respect, bring that to their attention. And let me say, I can speak especially to the guys. Guys, if your wife isn't good with it, don't do it. If your wife isn't good with what you're wanting to do, it probably means you need to invest more time in her. If we're investing time into our wife like we should, she's going to be good with us going out with the guys and doing something. She's going to be good with it. If she's not, we probably need to spend some time at home because something's lacking. Another point right there I want to throw in and have in big bold in my notes right here, danger warning. You do not need to be hanging out with someone of the opposite sex or even confiding in someone of the opposite sex. Good intentions can lead to big problems later. And so I know some of you are probably like, well, I know that. Or some of you are like, what? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Let me just tell you, I've seen so many people with great intentions develop a relationship that went wrong and then it put strain within their marriage. And so just don't even go there. Just make that choice. You know what? I'm not going to get close to somebody of the opposite sex because I'm going to show respect to my spouse. You know, and if somebody's getting close to you or confide stuff in you that you're not comfortable with, you know what? This is a little bit out of my comfort zone. Why don't you talk to your buddies or talk to my husband about what you're dealing with right here, and he can help you. And with that said, I believe Jesus should spend the majority of the time with your spouse. You've got to build that relationship just like you did when you were dating. And it, it's amazing to me how many people want to hold on to their single life. They still want to run with their friends and do all these things they did when they were single. We are married, and we are now one. We should be spending the majority of our time together. And if you don't want to... Even more so, you need to. You've got to cultivate that, right? Well, and that kind of takes us into the next little point here is that we need to show interest in the things that interest our spouse. Um, Philippians 2.4 says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And so, do you want to add something? Well, I was just going to say with that, talking about showing interest. Now, ladies, I know that many of you dread the fall because you know your husband is going to be glued to the TV. Football. Watching football. And many wives have a really bad attitude about that because all their husbands do in the fall is grunt at them. <laughs> husbands disappear for football season, right? Those are something that, that's something that men, we've got to consider. If we're spending the time investing in our wives like we should be, 
They're going to be all right with us watching a football game. So, ladies, a way that, because we're talking about showing interest, is, you know, why don't you surprise them, find out who their favorite team is, who their favorite team players are, make them their favorite meal, and join in on the football game with them. Now, amen. However, my next point, men, (laughs) men, and I know this is different for everybody, but just like your wife just sacrificed doing something that she really didn't enjoy because she wanted to be with you and she wanted to engage in an activity with you, how about the next time she has to go grocery shopping or clean the house? You, um, you know what, dear? You know what, dear? And I mean, that's things that don't even interest us, some of us, and we still do. Guys, I know that's hard because I know when she says, can I run by the store right quick? <laughs> like, I know that means things? three stores. And I know it's seven things outside of the list and stuff. But let me tell you, him choosing to do that makes things a lot happier at home. And it fulfills something in me. I mean, even let me give you this example. You may think this is crazy. You know, I love to cook, but I don't want to cook by myself, you know. And so he doesn't cook. He doesn't know how to cook. He has no desire to cook. He would do a great job cooking if he tried, but he hasn't gone there yet. But what he will do is he will come into the kitchen and he will sit at the table, and he'll get work done, talk to me, and he'll be there. So for me, he doesn't even have to say a word, but him just being in the kitchen while I'm preparing shows me love. It shows that he's interested. It shows that he's giving me time. It shows that he is there, and he cares for me, nothing about the food or anything that's going on. But let me say, on. part of the give and take in that, wise, if your husband takes a step like that, don't get upset at him. Realize he's making it. He, you're not looking at me when I'm talking to you. Okay. He's made an effort. He's, he's trying to get in there, and he, he's trying to, to make some sort of effort in there. So, you know, there's always a give and take in it, right? I want to give another example. Oh, man, where'd it go? Does anybody know what this is? Clash of the Clans? Anybody? Anybody play this game? Anybody? His hands up all over the back. Yeah? Okay, raise your hand. Come on. I know like 50 of you are part of this clan. Come on. Tell the truth. Okay. I just wanted to give an example of kind of a failure, kind of a success in this example. Oh, that's Aaron's new clan. That's awesome. Rob started playing Clash of the Clans, and then he started playing with Aaron. Did I say it? Clash of the Clan? Clash of Clans. It's not the Clash of Clan. Yeah. So he started playing that. Aaron started playing it. They started getting all these other people, and I found that I was like, Ugh. you know, I'd walk in, and he'd have his little phone, and, you know, we'd be in the car, and he'd be like, can you drive? Because i, I got to simulate. i got to practice so I can, like, wipe them all out. And I found that I started getting this bad attitude towards this game, okay? I'm like, stupid game. I wish he'd stop playing. Why is he doing that all the time? Disgruntled, dissatisfied, frustrated. And so then one night he comes in and he's in his bedroom and he's playing. And um, he's like, here's what he did. you start a clan war, man? He he came here. Put that down. He's like, come here a minute. And, um, And here's what he did. And I could see it in the moment. He wanted to explain the game to me so that I could understand. Okay? And so I have to say, you know, I sit there, I'm like, okay, he's wanting to engage me in this, so maybe I'll show the interest and I'll understand. And I'm sitting there and I had a decision. I could have been like, that's just stupid. I don't want to know. And I could walk out. Or I could choose, okay, he's trying to connect with me through this game and I'm going to engage in this conversation. And I sat there and he explained and he's doing all these things. And I remember thinking, pay attention, care. You're like, the TV's on. And I'm just being honest because we're all there sometimes, guys. Pay attention. I care. Pay attention. I care. You know, and like he's telling all this and I'm like, oh, glad that's over. You know, but here's the thing. 
I chose, I'm being honest, I did not care, I didn't want to care, and I didn't want to know. Because I had a bad attitude, and I had to ask the question, why do I have a bad attitude? My bad attitude was, I was jealous of the time he was spending on that game instead of spending with me. Then I had to ask the question, is that a realistic jealousy, or is that just something that's trying to sneak up in there? The truth was, is he was giving me plenty of time. We had plenty of time together, and... I had to make the decision to make that not bring division within our relationship. And now, like, he's turned his clan over to Aaron and hardly ever plays it. But (laughs) it's a decision to show interest in what they're interested in, whatever that is. Moving on. (laughs) So, question there. Do you put up with their interest or do you go towards them? Find a way to become interested and what interests them. Just go to skipping the, the last part yeah, of your okay. section there. Yeah. Did you want to say it? Mm, let me see. Do I want to say the last part of yours? Here you go. Learn to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Learn to express interest in the things that interest your significant other. Whatever that is. Not everything. Just buy three or four things. Something that you can share with them. So we're talking about being selfless, right? And so another way that we can do this in relationships is by examining when conflict arises. Kind of what I just shared with our class of, clash of the clan story. We have to ask ourselves, why do I feel this way? Why am I responding this way? We often want to blame our spouse for bringing out the ugly or the bad in us. And so I've got a lovely illustration here. I actually got this from Andy Stanley. I don't know if any of you guys have heard this, but... um. All right, so right here I have Mr. Mug. Can everybody see my Mr. Mug? Mr. Mug. All right, here I have Mrs. Mug. Well, she's already spilling stuff out. Mrs. Mug here, right? So here we go. We've got Mr. Mug and we have Mrs. Mug. They're married. They're together. Um, Something happens here. They get together. They engage. Um... Mrs. Mug, Mr. Mug, get married. They find out who's really there, and they start to have conflict. Anybody ever experienced that within marriage? And so you're looking there, and you're like, oh, man, what is going on here? This stuff just came out of me. You know, and you're like, well, this, this stuff that came out of me is Mr. Mug's fault because he's pushing my buttons, and he knows what ticks me off. He knows what makes me respond like that. And then here's Mr. Mug over here. Oh, but there's Mrs. Mug over here. And, you know, if she just wouldn't nag me so much, and if she would listen to me, and if she would just do what I said, and stuff comes out, right? Now, here's what I want you guys to realize. What's in Mr. Mug is there because Mr. Mug allowed it to be there and put it there. Here's Mrs. Mug. What's in there? She already brought into the marriage. What's in there was already there. It's just that when that conflict comes, it comes out, and we always want to place the blame on the other person. People will say things like, well, my spouse always brings out the worst in me. Well, the thing that needs to be examined is why is the worst inside of you? That's where we need to stop. We need to look at our hearts and go, why is it that this comes out in reaction to what my spouse is doing. It's already in there. Our spouse didn't put it in there. It was already in there. 
And so Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so right here, we're going to talk about guarding our heart. You know, what does that look like? We have to pay attention to what is going on in the inside of us, and thus is then what's coming out. We're too quick to say it's their fault that I'm responding this way, when oftentimes it's stuff that's already on the inside of us, and that's just what is coming out. And so, you know, we have to realize that we are so good at judging what's coming out of them and judging their heart and their performance, but we very seldom want to look at ourselves and evaluate and look at our own heart. Like, why is that coming out of me? And so, um, I'm going to give you guys, and this is going to be hard for some of you, but just a quick little way that you can apply this to your life that I think, because I've done it in my own life, that works, is that when you start to come up, when you start to have that anger, that frustration, stop before you speak and say, what am I feeling in this moment? Now, women could probably give you a list of about 30 things that they're feeling. Guys, you normally would be like, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, and I want to challenge you Let's go past angry and frustrated. Let's define what that true emotion is that's coming out of us. Let's define what the real issue is. So some adjectives that we might can use is is I felt left out when you did this. I felt embarrassed when you told that story. I felt unappreciated when you started going on how I hadn't done this, 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 and this, when I felt like I'd already done some things. I felt ugly. I felt unlovable. I felt like a failure. You know, every time you bring up your brother and how they're going on a vacation and they're doing so much stuff and I, wanted, and I just get so frustrated, it makes me feel like a failure because I can't provide financially the same way that they're providing. I feel stupid. I don't know how many times I've told that to Rob. He'll say something. I'm like, don't make me feel stupid. You know, that's not his intention, but it's how I'm taking it. Why is that? What's causing those feelings? Lonely, abandoned, scared, out of control, betrayed, picked on, jealous, the example I gave a while ago, um, disrespected. You know, so I encourage you as you start to respond next time when you get bumped and something starts to rise up out of you, okay, I'm going to name this, this, what am I feeling right now? And then once you identify it, what you need to do is you need to speak it out loud. Speak it out loud. I come against that loneliness. I come against that depression. I come against that jealousy. I come against that feeling of abandoning it. Because when you keep it in, you keep it quiet, it's kind of like a secret, and it's just going to dwell, and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It stays powerful, and it has control over us. Once we speak it out, it doesn't have nearly as much control of us. And so... Define the emotion, speak it out, and then what you realize is it really becomes a me issue. It's not a him issue, it's a me issue. And so then, dear, I'm sorry for whatever, whatever, whatever. This, for some reason, makes me feel this way, and i got to figure out why and how to work through that. Can you help me to do that? And it dissolves, instead of placing blame, you're you're owning your behavior, you're owning your emotions, and then you're giving it to the Lord and allowing him to work through you. <laughs> you see the time? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to skip B and just go to... Well, let's run through real quick. Okay. You guys still have your notes there. Um, so we talked about that, and the last thing we're going to talk about in this is uh, believing the best in your spouse. And um, you can do that right quick. Well, you keep talking. 
Well, you know, it's important. We, we automatically tend to have, have this thing where we automatically assume the worst in situations without having all the facts. And it's important that we begin to assume the best in folks. So you'll see right here in every situation we have expectations, right? And then we have behaviors. And there's always going to be a gap in the middle, right? We have expectations. There are behaviors. And so we have two choices. We can, one, assume the worst. Or we can, number two, believe the best. And so what are you going to do to fill in that gap? Are you going to believe the best in your spouse when a situation comes up? Or are you going to assume the worst when a situation comes up? When the dinner is on the table, ladies, and they said they're going to be home at 6 o'clock, are you going to assume the best? Well, they must be stuck in traffic. Maybe they had a late meeting. Maybe a phone call happened. Or are you automatically going to fill that gap with, assume the worst. Well, they must not want my dinner. They must not think I'm important, and I'm just not going to cook anymore because they obviously don't see this important. Are we going to believe the best, or are we going to assume the worst? So the, we got to look at whether we go negative and assume the worst or assume the best. First Corinthians 13, 7, you guys know the scripture, but it says there again, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And, you know, and you've got to ask yourself, you know, how am I doing, you know, with this? Can we keep going? <laughs> yeah. Kind of don't know where to go. Y'all give us a couple more minutes. Yeah. yeah, and the kids' classes are going, no, no. So here's the thing. There are going to be times where there's conflict. And so you're going to have to address bad behaviors. You're going to have to address poor decisions because they happen sometimes in marriage. But once you've had that discussion, you have to come back to believe the best. Your marriage will succeed, be much more likely to succeed if you're going to believe the best instead of assume the worst. And so we've got to believe the best within our spouses. You know, we got to realize that our spouse does not intentionally want to disappoint us or let us down. None of them do. But I'll tell you this, if we always assume the worst, you're going to end up getting the worst. I remember early on in our marriage, Rob used to come on. He finally, it was a wake-up call to me one day. He goes like, Shauna, he's like, I'm never going to be a good enough, and I'm never going to be able to do it your way, so why should I try? Because of my nagging. Because of why didn't you take the trash out? Well, didn't you hear what I said? Well, don't you know? Well, why didn't you do it this way? This is the way that my dad wouldn't have done it. Don't you know? And so those things is what he was hearing over and over and over again. And so you get to the point of why try because all they're going to see is assume the worst. And so we've got to get to the place where we believe the best. And I found that even for me within our relationship with that wake-up call, when I'm like, okay, I'm going to praise the good even when I don't see it. I'm going to praise the good even when I, you know, when he takes out the, thank you, dear, so much. I appreciate you for taking out that trash. I appreciate that you did this for me. And you begin to build your marriage when you believe the best instead of just tearing it down putting the toilet paper, new toilet paper roll on the thing. Rather than we're, we're still working on that one. I understand why that was such a big deal. God, man, it's right there on the back of the toilet. Let me just... And so we've got to make sure that we focus an empty roll right there with toilet paper to put. Anyways. We've got to believe the best. There's always hope. There's always hope. I'm not when, giving up. When we up. believe the best in our spouse, when we believe the best in our spouse, we are communicating to them. We're saying, I trust you. I, we're saying, I believe in you. We're saying, I accept you. We're saying, you are not a disappointment to me. And for some of us, that would make a big difference. 
Let me say too, especially for men, if you want your wife to assume the best, make it as easy as possible on her. Seriously. Sometimes guys will come to me and, you know, and I'm just going, are you, are you serious? You don't understand why your wife is questioning your motives or what you're doing or not doing? We need to make it easy. Give your wife that courtesy call if you're running late and let her know. You know, whatever it may be. I even tell, you know, it's so easy for things to happen that we never intended. I, I even, I, I've told you guys before, Shauna can locate me anytime on her phone. She knows any moment of the day where I'm at. I, you know, I, I've told people that before, men that, because their wife would question, you know, why they came in later, why they did this and that. And, oh, I could never, I need my privacy. No, you don't. You're married. There's no privacy in marriage. Zero. Somebody in marriage starts talking about privacy, there is a problem. There is no privacy. There is, it's okay to get some alone time. I need that sometimes. I'm serious. Sometimes. But I have zero privacy. You, you give that up when you get married. There is no privacy. None. We got, we got to focus on our spouse's strengths rather than their weaknesses. And wrapping it up, Luke 631 says, doing it to others as you'd have them do to you. Um, let's... Actually, a quote that Shauna found thought was good. Um, H. Dale Burke, um, a pastor and author, said, To really serve my mate, I need to go to school, study her as if in pursuit of a Ph.D. In my case, it's Beckyology. I have to know her like no one else on the planet. I have to tune into her feelings, her fears, and her dreams. Only then can I love her and serve her as Christ served the church. And there's a lot of truth that way. I think both. We need to do that for our husbands, and our husbands need to do that. And as we do that, we understand why they tick. We understand what sets them off. We can then communicate on how we can walk through things and make things better. So, so in closing, we've only two. given you one point so far. <laughs> That's choose to be selfless. Number two. Choose to make God the center of your marriage. You know, marriage is a hard thing, and I really don't think it can succeed the way that Christ has intended it to unless he is the center of our marriage because we are two imperfect people coming together to live. <laughs> And so ways that we can do that is, you know, we need to make sure that we make going to church together a priority. You know, if you're a Christian, you are a believer, make it a priority to be at church together with your spouse. Worship together. Don't let it be like her thing, his thing. But, you know, worship together. Um, next thing is, you know, make praying together a priority. And this can be a hard thing sometimes. It's, uh, you know, something that you've got to work out and start stretching yourself to do more. And, you know, we, we worked in, in the men's group a, a year or so ago. We, we challenged everybody, all the guys, pray with your wives every night for a few minutes before you go to bed. And, you know, some of them were like, it was cool until like night three. I couldn't figure out anything else to pray for. Uh, <laughs> sleep well, good dreams. You know. You've got to stretch yourself, right? Sometimes it can be a little weird and a little awkward, but you make yourself do it, right? And men, I would encourage you to initiate that. There's something about a woman that's just like, I just wish my husband would initiate prayer. Like, they're just waiting for them to come. And so, you know, sometimes they're like, well, I don't want to bring it up because they feel like I'm the one that's always doing it or whatever. And so men, you know, initiate that. Be the one that says, hey, let's pray together about this situation or whatever. Um, next thing is make serving God together as a family a priority. And then Rob already hit this one a little bit, is make giving a priority. You'll see as you do all these things, um, when God is the center You'll see these different things. And that's what I added as a conclusion to this. When God is the center of our marriage, you can, you can determine right now whether God is center of your marriage because when he is, we'll be open. We'll talk honestly, 
about our struggles. We'll seek his help and the help of others before things balloon out of control. We'll choose to make godly decisions together as a couple. We'll honor each other in our words and our actions. We'll work together to find and fulfill God's purpose and plan for our life. These are things you see when God is a center of relationship. Another thing, one last thing I wanted to add to that I thought of during worship was when God is the center of our relationship, you don't find drama. You find stability and you find security. Isn't that true? Now, there may be drama going on, but when God's the center, you can walk in that perfect peace in the storm, in the midst, as you're walking through it. And so, we would ask today you to consider, how can I love my spouse like no one else could ever love them? How can I serve them? How can I prefer them? How can I believe the best in them? And that is your challenge this week as you go forth and walk out your relationship. And those of you who aren't married yet, thinking about these things, these are things you've got to consider that as you're going into that, as you're desiring that. Let's, let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for marriage. We thank you that this was your design and your plan. And Lord, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is a great thing when it's done your way. God, we pray for, firstly, for every married couple in this room. I just pray, God, that your word, as it's spoken today, would be written on the tablets of their heart. Lord, you'd bring it back to their remembrance. It would, the Holy Spirit, you would use it to challenge them, to stir thoughts and questions within them when it comes to regard to their own relationship. Pray, God, they would be seeking ways to grow, seeking ways to be selfless, seeking ways to enrich their relationship. God, we stand together, we agree together for those who's, who may be in here today whose marriages are in trouble. God, you are a God that can always restore. I pray, God, that they would absolutely humble themselves. They would look at their own hearts first. They would do things your way. First and foremost in this, I want to I say to you all, the Lord isn't, Jesus isn't Lord of your life, then it's all pointless. You're here and you've never given up that Lordship of your life. We like to hang on to it so tightly sometimes. We want to do things our way, in our time. We know what we want and we want it now. You've never surrendered that. and said, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Please take control of this mess that I've made. I want to follow you. If you've never done that, then this is your moment. This is your time. Remember how we talked about God can make all things new. It starts with a choice, the choice that you make right now, today. You can't live in the past and you can't worry about tomorrow. All you've got is this moment. You're here and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. Or maybe you have, but you realize that... (laughs) He definitely doesn't have the reins right now. He's definitely not steering your ship. He's, you, you've kind of placed him out in left field somewhere and you're doing things on your own. And you need to realign yourself with him and you need to make him Lord again. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down front with every head bowed. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand right quick. You need to make Jesus Lord of your life or if you want to rededicate your life to him today, lift your hand so I can pray with you. 
Amen. Got one. Anybody else? We're going to pray this together. The Bible says that when you do, if you believe it with your heart, all things become new and you become a new creation. The Bible says that God grafts you into his family and makes you his very own. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus, the blameless son of God, to take my place, to take my sin and shame, to give his life on a cross, to restore my relationship with you. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord of my life. Take control. I give you control from this day forward. I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Empower me to walk out this life and to accomplish everything that you've called me to do. I love you and I'll serve you every day from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a